Seeking the Extraordinary is sponsored by The Colony Group, a national wealth and business management company that seeks the extraordinary by pursuing an unrelenting mission of providing clients with peace of mind and empowering their visions of tomorrow. To learn more about how The Colony Group manages beyond money, visit thecolonygroup.com. Welcome, fellow seekers of the extraordinary. Welcome to our shared quest. A quest not for a thing, but for an ideal. A quest not for a place, but into the inner, unexplored regions of ourselves. A quest to understand how we can achieve our fullest potential by learning from others who have done or are doing exactly that. May we always have the courage and wisdom to learn from those who have something to teach. Join me now in Seeking the Extraordinary. I'm Michael Nathanson, your Chief Seeker of the Extraordinary. Today's guest is the founder of the highly popular Launch Trampoline Parks. A serial entrepreneur, he's now an equity owner of V1 Vodka. But you may know him better for his 15 years in the NFL. He won three Super Bowls as part of the New England Patriots, was selected for five Pro Bowls, and was a Pro Bowl MVP. His 53 career interceptions are among the best in NFL history, making him one of the best cornerbacks of all time. He's a member of the 2019 class of inductees into the NFL Hall of Fame, joining only 325 other members in this most special achievement. Please welcome the extraordinary Ty Law. Ty, welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I like the intro. I like the intro. (laughs) Well, I worked pretty hard on that, although I got to admit, as a New Englander, I've certainly been following your career for some time. So welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, man. So first, let me just congratulate you again on making the Hall of Fame. And I have to ask, are you used to that now? And can you ever get used to that? You're a member of the Hall of Fame. You know what? It was something that you was always, I was always striving for and dreaming about when I was a kid. I got the chance to grow up and spend my summers with Tony Dorsett, my uncle, another Hall of Famer. So I used to just stare at that bus. And I was like, just all the accomplishments coming from where we come from in Aliquippa, it was like it was always a goal. And to finally achieve that after playing 15 years, getting passed over for the first couple of years, that was like, you know, that's kind of like the icing on the cake. I felt like I can still hold my head up high with, with my accomplishments on a football field and the career that I had. But it was, that piece was missing because that was the goal. I, I, I said, I set the goal high to be a Hall of Famer from day one. You know, you might know him. Name is uh, Mike Reese for ESPN yeah. and working Boston. And I told him what, like, one of my first interviews as a Patriot, my introductory interview, I said my goal is to go to the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I felt like if I set the bar there, even though I, a lot of people was probably like, what is this rookie talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? You ain't even suit up yet. But <laughs> it was one of those things that I felt even then as a youngster that if I set the goal here as a Hall of Famer, the Pro Bowls, the Super Bowls, the individual accolades, all that'll come. So just set the bar here. It wasn't like, okay, let's go out there and have a great year and and go to the Pro Bowl this year. Let's do this year. Let's get this many interceptions this year. And then, no, I set the bar here. And in order for you to get to that one, you have to do it game in, game out, season in, season out. So there was no, for me, at least my thinking, and that's just how I, that's how I'm wired. It's like, hey, let's shoot here. 
And then if you shoot here, we'll settle what's in between. But if in order to get to this goal, these things have to happen. I can't just have one great year. I can't just go out there and just lead the league one time and think like, okay, that's a Hall of Fame career. No, it doesn't work like that. That's why it's only 325 people in there in the last 100 years. Yeah. So, And it was even less when I came. You know what I mean? So when you're sitting there shooting for something, hey, you got hey, you got to go hard or go home. You know what I mean? I mean, why shoot for second? You know what I mean? Nobody remembers second place. That's just how, I, as a competitor, you know what I mean? I know life is different in a sense. Things don't always work out that way, but I'm a goal setter. I try to achieve those goals. Sometimes you fall short. You don't get, you don't achieve everything all the time. But if you work hard and you, whether you're studying, whether it's business, and you go through the ups and downs of anything because every game wasn't a great game. I've got beat plenty. My goal was to win more than I lost. You know what I mean? And if you do that and don't get discouraged and understand that those guys get paid too when you do get beat, yeah, you get pissed off. <laughs> you know what I mean? But okay, do it again. That's just the competitive nature that I have. And I kind of took that from where I come from in Aliquippa when it comes to the football field. I carry the same mentality when it comes to business. Yes, yeah, a little bit different you can't just depend on your on yourself and your athleticism and beating the guy across from you but the lessons that i learned as an athlete in an organization like the patriots that it takes a team and now coming from the individual sport basically as a corner it's like you're a boxer because it's just me and that guy yeah we had a game plan but pretty much hey ty you got him you know what I mean? So I had to win that battle against the other team's best receiver yeah. week in and week out. But when it comes to business, when I started launch, that was a whole different experience. But you still have to put the same type of work in and get people around you that can do the things that yeah. you can't do. You know what I mean? And that's how it was a learning curve to that. I was a rookie again. I'm going from a 15-year veteran playing football from uh, seven years old to 37, 30 straight years of football. Now I'm coming into a whole new arena in business. Yeah. Okay, so what kind of what can I take in? I used to put different analogies in my head, but I put it from I take it from football, but I put it in the business sense so I understand. You know what I mean? That's just the psychological things that I did for myself. So so let's take apart some of those <clears throat> introductory remarks. And you've mentioned Aliquippa a couple times. I have to admit, mm-hmm. when I first learned your story, I had to look up where Aliquippa was. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about Aliquippa and about your upbringing? Yeah, Aliquippa was everything to me. If you go back, even though I, I know I love my school, University of Michigan, but born, bred, I bleed red and black, and that's where I'm from. That's who made me what I am. That's That produced a product that people enjoy to see on the field. You know what I mean? But it was tough. So when I got to college and the pros, that was nothing because the coaches were harder in high school. I heard more four-letter <laughs> words in high school than I ever did in college in the pros, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. just that upbringing, the expectations, the level that, that you had to play at to succeed, it was constant It was constant pressure from the community, from the teams before you, because we're not used to losing. And if you lose, I think I lost two, two like three games in high school. And wow. you feel like the end of the world was happening when you're losing those games. Yeah. Because that's you talking about even old ladies on the porch when you're walking home. Ah, oh, you got yeah, you got your ass whipped. Oh yeah, yeah, you gotta do better. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they they be really it'd be really like that when you're a young kid. So just the expectations 
and it just molded me to want to go out there and and be great at whatever it is. I want to be the best athlete. I want to. I got the chance to talk to Magic Johnson, sit down there and say, okay, how was the transition to be an entrepreneur, taking five hours out of his day to then just talk to me. When was that? When did you speak with story. Magic Johnson? Right, right when I started launch, I was in my first year. Okay. And we, we had a, it was Jeffrey Osborne's uh, golf tournament and he had a celebrity softball game. So I had Joey, my mascot out there and it wasn't, of course I'm promoting launch while we're out there. Joey be like, what is he? He actually playing. So Magic, he was a part of it as well, like with a lot of other celebrities, athletes, entertainers. Jeffrey Osborne has one of the best uh, golf tournaments for a charitable organization. And Magic came to me. He's like, hey, he said, that's you? And I was like, yeah. He was like, he's like, man, that's awesome. And he just started talking. I said, you know what? I know this might not be the time, man, but I would love to sit down and uh, uh, talk to you. I'm doing this. And we just talked business a little bit. But like I said, we were there to do something else. But when he found out that was my company and wanted to know about it. And I got an opportunity to talk to him in that extent. Man, it was like two weeks later, I'm in LA. You know, I told him, you know, I have a daughter in LA. He said, just give me a call. So I'm saying, okay, I gave him a call. And sure enough, he took the time out and it was like four or five hours of just hanging out in his office, just talking business, telling my story, where I'm trying to go with launch. He telling me about, he is, he like encouraged me saying, you were a lot further along than what I was. When I started, after I kind of shared with him some of the things that we're doing, some of the numbers that we were doing, you know, it's Magic Johnson, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's confidential, but hell, this Magic Johnson, it ain't that much money. He can, he can see, <laughs> you know what I mean? So he was like, he, he was really a big help as far as the motivation from the time spent. So I always say, even though I didn't talk to him a lot afterwards, I've talked to him a couple of times afterwards, how am I doing? But I know he's very busy, but just that time alone and saying where he's at today, a lot of you don't even think about Magic Johnson as a basketball player, even though we know he's one of the top five greatest of all time to ever do it. You talk about Magic Johnson, the man and the businessman now, and that's where one day I want to be. I got a chance to talk to Junior Bridgman as well. You know what I mean? He's a former All NBA player and one of the most successful businessmen ever for athletes. You know what I mean? And owns a lot of restaurants, Chili's and Wendy's. He owns like over 300 franchises worth about $500 million. You know what I mean? It's like Roger Staubach. I look at those stories because we all played football, but to be able to leave football and still be successful right. and transition to business is very, is very hard. It's not as easy as people think just because you made decent, you know, money playing ball that doesn't necessarily transition into business. So I was always trying to be a student and saying, okay, what do I do? I don't. I know I'm going to retire at a point where I'm still going to be young. Yeah, I still have some a couple of dollars in my pocket, but at the same time, how is that going to sustain me? How is that going to? How am I going to live? You got to get up and have something to do. And I always wanted to be a businessman. I always wanted. Now I got a funny story. My part of my business, and this is just the competitive part. I was like, you know what? I got cut three times in the NFL after going all pro. Because no guarantee, contracts, that, yep. that's the business side of it. Yep. It's just business. I was like, you know what? I'm going to save my money. I said, I can't wait till I get to do all the hiring and firing. I ain't got to sit there and look <laughs> like this. You know, I'm bringing a pink slip. But you know what? That was the hardest thing that I ever had to do. Because as I was looking forward to, in my mind, thinking like, I can't wait to finally fire me somebody. Because I said, I've been fired three days. Everybody said, you got released. Damn it. I got fired, <laughs> you know what I mean? Three times. 
Yeah. I went all pro, led the league in interceptions. Guess what? They still let you go. Yeah. For for whatever their reasons are. So when I started launching, get this, and some people just don't fit. They're working hard. They're trying. But the hardest thing for me to do was have to have bring somebody into my office and tell them that we got to let you go. But I do. I want to actually just touch on that and certainly follow your lead in this conversation, Ty. So you weren't let go from the Patriots because you didn't fit. You're a Patriot right. for life and everyone. You've said that yourself mm-hmm. and everyone mm-hmm. in the Patriots organization, I, mm-hmm. I assume, loved you that I assume that was about money. Yeah, it was, it's always about money, where your cap number is at. And I came off with a broken foot, even though I came back the next year, which they didn't know. And But I was in the last year of my contract. People yeah. usually don't even get to the last year of the contract, typically, because that's when the money just goes up. But I was still one of the top corners in the game. I happened to break my foot in Pittsburgh. So that kind of changed the narrative. So it made it easier for I them see. to let me go with my injury. But then when I got to New York, I come back that same year. And I led the league and went all pro in New York. I had 10 interceptions. The only person on the team to go to the Pro Bowl. But even after that, I got released. The only Pro Bowler led the whole league in interceptions. I got released anyway from New York because guess what? The way the contract was structured, they knew they was going to have to pay me this money because I met all my incentives. So the best thing for them to do is to release me from their standpoint if they're going to rebuild. They released me before this other money kicks in because I made all my, I played on an assimilating contract and I've always bet on myself. So I took a lot less base salary and I said, you know what? I believe in me. All right. So I'll make my money, whether it's interceptions, improving the defense, efficiency, QBRs and all that. I had all these different things in my contract and I was exceeding it. And I said, my goal was to make the same money that I was a, custom to make it my big contract but I had to earn it and I say when you earn it it felt good because it wasn't one of those things that if I I can put it to you this way I was used to making six seven you know million as far as my salary and my contract and that's where it, it was at the end of the contract but when I went to New York I had to take a base of three in order for me to get that other three and a half million I had to hit every mark and what they call it in there is not likely to be earned incentives. It's likely to be earned and it's not likely to be earned. Yes. I hit all the not likely to be earned too, because it's hard to go out there and lead the team in this episode to improve this. Talking about the QBR on your side and stuff like that. When you talk about breaking all those things down, coming off of a foot injury that people thought was uh, career threatening, I probably wasn't the same player overall, but. I had enough knowledge and still enough skill set, and I played here, and I hit all those things. And that's how I was able to do it because, you know what, I'm going to always bet on myself. I felt that I could do this, and that's just what drives me. When people say you can't or you won't, it it just drives me, man. It just, I mean, that competitive fire still burns in the sense where you want to be successful at whatever you do. You know what I mean? But after all your success, it sounds like you still felt you had something to prove. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because that's then you get to the point where you're trying to earn the respect. And then once you get the respect, you have to it's still pressure to maintain the level of play, because when you're a young guy, like the mind gains that way, I'm going against Jay Rice. Now, I'm a rookie, 
this is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Yeah. A lot of people going to be scared, damn, oh, I'm Jerry Wright. Guess what? Oh, I was comfortable as I want to be. Yeah. You know why? That's Jerry Rice. I'm supposed to lose if I lose. Yeah, well, exactly. It's no pressure on me. It's more pressure on him if he let me, a nobody, from the University of Michigan haven't made a name for himself yet in the NFL. I was like, let's go. So I went out there, Jay Rice, I, you were just another receiver. Yeah. To me, because that's what I that's what you do as far as your mind games. Guess what? If Jay Rice beat me for a touchdown, I'm a rookie. Is anybody going to sit there and like, but now on my standpoint, if I go out there and ball and I go out there and guess, guess what? Hey, I'm the man. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was a no-lose situation. It was an opportunity. It was an opportunity in a no-lose situation. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. Now, it's a different set of circumstances now when you're expected to play that. But guess what? No one's expectations will ever meet mine. When I'm on a football field, there's nothing, there's no bar that you can set as my teammate, as my coach, that'll be higher than the bar that I'm already set for myself. Yeah, that that seems so to be the, no you, a theme for you, that mm-hmm. set the bar mm-hmm. as high as possible, and all the success will come as you ultimately right. get over that bar. Right, 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 absolutely. You know what I mean? So, But that was a different type of pressure. Then when you go, and now you're on the back end of your career, you get released, you're getting a little long in the tooth. Now the fire burns, like I got to prove to everybody that, oh, you must have forgot. I can play. So I had to take that approach. And so you have, I was fortunate to play long enough that I had like three stages of my career. Yeah. When the beginning where I was young and you had to earn the big contract. And then once you earn the big contract, can you maintain the big contract and live up to the expectations of the contract? And then once the contract is over, you get released. Now you're basically trying to find your way. Yeah, you're still you, but you're not the old you. And you always had to, it was always something to prove, always something to prove. Then you retire, all right? People talk about the Hall of Fame and then you get, and okay, I got that recognition as far as being mentioned, but not getting in, you know what I mean? I had to sit yeah. three years. That's right. For, yeah, exactly. So, and it was like, but it was a story of my life. That That's okay. I, I It was just unfortunate for me at the time when I'm sitting there going through all these emotions, I can't go back on the field and do anything else. Yeah. I, I laid it all out there what I had, you know what I mean? And it is what it is. So I felt good about my career, but I wanted that because that was my goal. And you always want to achieve your goals. Yeah. If you get close, you make a settle. And I would have settled just fine. I'd have been totally fine with my career because I set the bar high, but to actually accomplish that goal, it was like everything just left my body. It was like, it was a surreal experience. You know what I mean? But after that, life goes on. Yeah, you never get tired of saying the Hall of Famer because sometimes I forget. I really don't think of it like that because I'm more of a patriot. You know what I mean? Anything. They were like former patriot. They don't say former Jet, former Bronco, former patriot. This is where I made my bones. I understand that. I'm in New England right now. You know what I mean? This is where I still live here in Florida. You know, I'm always going to be, you know, a patriot. Yeah. But before that, I was equipped. And that runs deeper than anything. Patriots, Michigan, Aliquippa runs in me deeper because I would have never been who I was at Michigan, at New England, and in the NFL, in the Hall of Famer, if I didn't have that background and upbringing, that tough upbringing in Aliquippa, in my opinion. Yeah. There's a Latin expression, temet nosca, which means know thyself. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Ty, it sounds like you very much uh, know yourself. 
So mm. I have to. So just all this talk about the NFL. I and I am going to get to to launch and V one. Oh yeah. But before we do that, though, so I, I was spending some time doing some research on you before our our talk, and and I was going through the coaches that you had while you were in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And let's see, you had Bill Parcells, mm-hmm. Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, Romeo Cronell, Herm Edwards. Those are some of the best coaches in history. So were they mentors for you? Were they teachers for you? What was your relationship with, with these people? I had a great relationship. When I was coming in to the NFL, I couldn't have had a better coach to get Christian by into the NFL than Coach Parcells. He was he said, a master manipulator of the mind. You know what I mean? He, well, he's going to push you. He's probably going to push you more than most coaches and see what you're made of and try to get into your head. It was, he's always telling me that chubby, you can't eat. Hey, hey, this guy go run by you. This and that, you know what I mean? You need to lose this weight. Can you run? Is that what he called you? Take he called you chubby? Yeah, yeah, he called, he said, he said, he like, he like, like he said, one time I can, he said, look, like he got the mumps. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was there like chubby. I'm sitting there like, you know, I got like a little four pack, nine, six pack, I got a little four pack, you know what I mean? But that was close for ourselves. <laughs> and he would always challenge you when I had to get him to Gatorade. That was my job being the first round pick. So I had that in type of relationship with him and to get the jab. And he even told me one time, he said, Ty, you're going to be the first rounder in NFL history to get cut. And I'm sitting there like, no, he didn't. But he didn't realize the type of young buck he was talking to. And at the time, which I would recommend guys do this now i was like well you already gave me a million five do what you gotta do you know what i mean <laughs> i came right back at him you know what i mean but he but actually he loved it because bobby greer was jim at the time he was like he really got a kick out of you coming back at him biting back at him because he because yeah. he does that because he, he we had a, another corner by the name of uh, jimmy hitchcock and they said he said he did the same thing to him this is bobby greer telling me now who's a gm after he left and i didn't even know he had put me in his book wrote a few words about me in his book. I didn't even know that until somebody told me. And he was like, he did the same thing for Jimmy. He kind of put his head down and couldn't play because he was, because as far as it was his head. So he would try to get in your head like that. And he got in mind to where it just pissed me off at the receiver that I'm covering. So the more you talk, the worse it's going to be on him. You know what I mean? <laughs> he did that to me with Michael Irvin. Like he didn't coach anybody. Yeah. And that was kind of like my breakout game playing against Dallas and I came in and coach Parcells pulled me into his office and he's like, Hey, I got, we got you playing. Somebody ain't scared of you this time. He said, you got all these other people scared of you. And this one ain't, he going to kick your ass. He said, I'm telling you, he said, you see, he said, you see what he did to Nias William, who's another hall of famer. And he had like big numbers. I think he was like nine kids for like two eleven or something like that. And he, and he looked at me, he said, guess what? You're damn sure. Noah Elias Williams tell you that so imagine what he's going to do to you and so he told me this before practice and then he he was he wrote me i'm like do you could you please go coach somebody else he wrote me all weekend went down there to dallas i i didn't have nobody but michael Irvin in my target you know i ended up getting two interceptions and that was like my breakout game player of the week everything and but that was par sales i i, I went into that game pissed because you doubt my ability you told you, you said somebody's gonna kick my ass that's the rest. All you had to do. That's all you had to say to me. But it come to find out that he loved that, you know, about me. But that's just who I am. And we've been great ever since. I actually, I just talked to Coach Parcells a couple of weeks ago. He said, "Well, get back to Florida and play a little golf." That's what he does now. Nice. So I'm gonna drive down and see him. Yeah. So can I call him a mentor of yours as well as a coach? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He 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 was that. And you know when 
another little story was when we were going down to the Super Bowl to play uh, Green Bay and the first Super Bowl where we lost, walking out of the bubble and he just put his arm around me and said, you know, I love you, right? And I'm like, nice. And I'm like, where the hell? Yeah. And he was like, he said, yep, you get, you get everybody scared of you now. He said, but you better never hope you play against me. And I said, from that moment, because you heard all the chirp, I knew he was gone. Yeah. I knew he was gone right yeah. after that moment. Yeah, he was you telling me that. And then, yeah, yeah. And then next thing you know, we got Pete Carroll. He came in and I gave him a lot of credit. I even mentioned him in my speech at the Hall of Fame because Pete Carroll was the one who really set my career off by believing in me enough to assign me to the best to our opponent's best receiver, yeah. week in and week out, man or zone. You got him. You know what I mean? And I can't thank him enough because that gave – it was awesome that he had so much confidence in me to do so. And it also gave me the confidence. I wanted that challenge. You know what I mean? I wanted to be like the Deion Sanders that go in there and just take away your top guy. And he gave me that opportunity. So I'm always forever thankful for Pete because it helped me grow as a cornerback, as a competitor, as an athlete, it was always in me, but he was like, you got it. Yeah. Parcells did it first as far as like, okay, you got him this week. But when it, when Pete came, no matter who the top dog was, I knew where I was going. Yeah. Are you and, still in touch with him, Pete yeah. Carroll? Yeah, I invited him to the uh, Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, he wasn't able uh, to come, but I talked to him before I went into the Hall of Fame, and we've always had a great relationship. Even when he left, I was one of actually one of the advocates for Pete because I like Pete. You know what I mean? And maybe I had my own reasons. He's a DB guy. You know what I mean? He was definitely pushing for me when I signed my contract. He was definitely behind me 100%. You know what I mean? So I'm always, I feel like, somewhat indebted to him. I earned my paycheck, but when you got an advocate like a coach that's saying that he's the best in the game, he deserves his money, and put it on wax like he did. Plenty of times in press conferences saying how much I meant to the team. He gave me a lot of confidence, and I'm always be fond of Pete and his enthusiasm. You can still see his enthusiasm when he's out there now. The guy yeah. really has fun. I think he's the oldest coach in the NFL, and he acts yes. like he's the youngest coach in the NFL. Ex exactly. Man, he has an, an incredible uh, energy and presence about him, man. Yeah. I was pretty upset that, he, that they let him go because we yeah. did go to the playoffs, you know what I mean? And But – Hey, that's why Mr. Kraft is who he is. You know what I mean? He made the decision and Coach Belichick, which was okay. If he's going, at least I got a relationship with Coach Belichick because he was my DB coach during the Super Bowl in my second year in 96. I came in 95. So Coach Belichick was my DB coach. So I was with Bill every day. And mm -hmm. all the meetings when everybody go, he with the DBs, we with Bill. So I'm like, hey, Belichick coming back. Me, me and lawyer calling illegally, I might add, because <laughs> we didn't know. We just calling, but it's like, you ain't really supposed to call. He's like, guys, I, I can't talk. So we're like, damn. But when he finally got hired, he told us that even though we had a relationship, we kept in touch because of the situation was going on. He wasn't really supposed to talk to yeah. us and stuff like that. But when he came, we had a, a, a tough time, but he continued to do what Pete already set in motion and saying, okay, you, this is what you do. You got the best guy. But when it came down to game planning and things like that, he's just on a whole nother level than anybody else. Yeah. As far as the preparation. And like I said, when you go in, we, we don't, we don't know what we're going to be doing week to week on defense. You know what I mean? 
even though he wasn't technically the defensive coordinator, he's head coach, but he had his hand on all that. You know what I mean? So, like I said, incredible preparation, the way he ran practices, the situational things, everything was situational. We probably, and I've been to a couple organizations, so now I can kind of talk knowingly the differences between the way Coach Belichick does things. Not saying that none of these other coaches are, they're great in their own right. Like I said, Herm was great. Aunt Man Jenny was under, Belichick was under Parcells. Yep. But the way he goes about preparation and putting you in situations to make you think and then it seems like it always comes up. We've seen this situation in practice. New England has more situational practice than anybody that I've ever played with. And I probably still to this day, I can't see nobody in the league that comes up with situations as much as New England and practice them uh, day in and day out. And that's the greatness of Coach Belichick. You knew going into the game that one time we were playing the Saints, and and, and Bill, he told me if I if you see this, you goddamn you jump it. I'm like, he said this they for me they're running this. I said Bill, what if they run? It was a hook. What if they run a hook and go? I'm on ESPN. I don't like to be on ESPN on the wrong end of the highlights. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he said that's on me. He said if they if they line up in this formation. And he's right here, yard outside the numbers, tight ends on there, split back. He's running a goddamn hook. And then you better jump it. And sure enough, it happened. He knew. And, and I was worried about the hook and go. to play a little Timmy. He's like, but that's on me. And I said, so I ain't going to get in trouble if he get behind me and gets touched. He said, nope, I'll take that one. I was like, damn. Love so that. when you got a coach, that that is that's amazing. Because most people ain't trying to take that. <laughs> so, Ty, I want to make sure that we have some time to to speak about your business career because, by all accounts, it's been quite successful. So, was Launch your first first business yes. after retirement? Yes, yes, that was my first business. I was looked at a couple different franchise opportunities. Like I said, I've always wanted to work for myself, but and I was very close to being a franchisee in the food industry, and I was going down the process. And I was be honest, I was looking at Wingstop, looked at Popeyes. I kind of went through their little program, try to see. You now I went to Harvard in the off season mm-hmm. to just a business course. You know what I mean? Because it's something that I always wanted to do. But you know, everything it just you got to go through the process a couple times. What different organizations? I figured like, okay, I know it's cliche, but that's what it is. Getting in a business is mine. It's already a proven model. Let me get in the franchise. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's it's perfectly okay. I've never, I didn't think I would ever be on the franchisor side. That wasn't my mindset, but I'm glad that I was on the other side as a franchisor. So when this whole launch opportunity came, you know, up and I'm like, the hell is that? It was, who was my partner, Rob Arnold? He was just building a deck for me. We wasn't friends. We wasn't talking about business like that, but he knew that I was after, it was a pretty big, big job out here. <laughs> and we just, we kind of came fast friends, chop it up. Like I'd take the boys some beers out there because I was out there working in the hot sun. And we just got to chop it up. So he knew that I was looking into these particular franchises. So he went on vacation and, you know, with his family and they came back. He's like, hey, you ever heard of trampoline parks? I'm like, what the hell is that? He's like, man, they're killing up here. And then he just started talking about it. So it wasn't to pro me to do business or anything. He was just telling how good of a time and it would be awesome up here in New England. So 
my son happened to be around here. He said trampoline park. Now I have a trampoline in the back right now. Mm-hmm. And they, if they ain't jumping, they out there eating lunch. They out there just on the trampoline all the time. But I never thought about it from a business perspective. So I end up taking my son like a week or so, you know, later, because he kept bugging me about this trampoline park. So I went to one in Boston as a, as a paying customer. I called up and they said, there's no wait. I said, cool, be there in 45 minutes. By the time I got there, it was a two hour wait. I'm wow. like, God, I couldn't find the damn thing. It was in the middle of nowhere because you need all this space, these big warehouses. And my son and my daughter, they had a decent time, but my youngest couldn't jump with him because it was a whole nother section. So it wasn't a great experience for me as a parent because I'm sitting there watching it. It stunk, smelled like feet. I didn't have no really no snacks. But we left and I had to go to the mall and I came back just because I drove all the way up here. I might as well wait. So we went to the mall, came back for our time. And like I said, the oldest two had a good time. Me and my youngest, we didn't have a good time. But as I was walking out, a light bulb just went off on my head. I was like, damn, just bust loads of people coming. I'm like, to this? Now just start going, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. I just sat there <laughs> for like like yeah. 20 minutes and I just start counting the people and I just start saying dollars. And I'm sitting like, man, it might, it might be something to this. So went back home, started doing my own research about family parts and the companies. And no one knew what I was doing. I was like, look, I'm about to go check on something. And I tell my family, so I went to Florida on my own. I went to Texas at the trampoline parks there. I went to the one in New York. All the competitors that's into this industry, it was it was fairly new, but I wanted to just do some research. So I wanted to see the different stuff. And then I found one in Florida that was the closest thing to what I thought it should be because it can be better. You know what I mean? People were just doing basic, but it was such new and people just making so much money. They just try to build them and and just dumb them down and just get as much as you can. I wanted to make a better experience with it. So it was one franchise in Florida. I was like, we're going to do that. You know what I mean? We're going to sign up with these guys and we're going to bring it here to New England. Uh, I couldn't be, oh, I called Rob first. I said, you're Rob. I said, you, now he's done with the job. Now he's going his way. I said, hey, you still interested in that training? He's like, really? Because he, he, the one thing he said, if you ever do that, call me, I'm in. That was it. So I called him after he was never expecting me to call. He's like, really? And I called him and he was like, hell yeah. And how much could you come up with? And we started, we going, we went down there about to sign up with these guys. And next thing you know, the price went up over 400 grand than what we originally talked about. We were really about to sign on the dotted line, but what he did, he Googled me and he didn't really know who I was. Cause I don't go around telling what I do. I want to come in just like anybody else. And he Googled me next thing you know. So one of his employees actually that was bitter, he said, hey, the reason it went up like that is because he Googled you. He realized that you was Ty Law. And then, you know what? Of course, pissed me off. And and to Rob's credit, he's like, we can do it ourselves. We can start our own. He said, and I'm like, yeah, I'm the draw up here. They don't know about it up here other than the other company, which was SkyZone at the time. And I'm like, hey, we can do our own. So we scrapped it. It set us back about six months. And we came up with our own concept called Launch. And when the rest is history, and I said, if I'm going to do it, if you want to try to take advantage of me, I'm not a dumb jock. I'm going to bet on myself in this too. So we started from scratch with one store. And now, you know, it's 36 stores open. Of course, not because, because of the pandemic, but it was 36 stores open and over 75 sold across the country. Wow. 
Wow, extraordinary. Well, we start and, off with one. We had one story, yeah. And all based on didn't know what the on, hell we was doing either. <laughs> yeah, but and all based on a random meeting with a contractor who was building a deck for you. Yeah, yep. Yeah. It, it was just like that. No one ever thought that he was young. He was hungry. When I was like, we came up with how we're going to do it. We came up and he put his skin in the game, put my skin in the game, and we didn't get no bank loans. I cashed my first business. I was fortunate enough to be able to do that from my previous profession and. No one was going to give us a loan for a damn trampoline park anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you maybe get a business loan, but, you know, it was too new, too risky, and no one would give that. So I had to bet on me, and I used cash. And and now you're into vodka, V1 vodka. So tell us about that. Right. So like finish off on a launch, and we just got to a point I've always said, and I said, get us five to seven years to build out. And I wanted to, I, I thought we would have probably been a little, more than where we were. We had certain momentum going, but you know, things change in business. You get the other competitors coming in just like I was and then people not respecting boundaries. You know what I mean? And people just start putting them up everywhere. But I say, you know what? We got to start making a launch more than just a trampoline part. So we became Launch Family Entertainment. So now Launch has bowling alleys and then we had some got go-kart tracks and them like huge facilities. We got arcades and all of them. So we Laser have a tag. standard. Laser tag. Yeah, we have, we, we have a standard. So you will never just go into just launch saying it's just one boring part. We got stuff for everybody. Now we got, like I said, the bowling alley with a full bar in it. You know what I mean? And we just had to evolve because when you first started, guess what? You get seven fifty eight hundred thousand. you put up a part. Now, hmm, no sirree. Hey, you talking about two and a half, three million to put it all in, to put it all right. And we got to a point to where I started making the trampolines as well, because I was realizing that it's pretty much one, like two manufacturers out there that's making it for everybody, all the competitors. And I'm really, I can't make money off of that. And then I have to insure something from someone else. And if sky zone who has a hundred units and I got 10, if I need something delivered and ready to go at this time, and you're making it for me and you're making it for them. Who are you going to go with first? You done already did 100 parks for them. You're going to sit there. I'm not, I might not meet my timeline. So what I did is I hired an engineer. And we got all the other people's and make sure we didn't and, and go on their stuff. And I had my own system developed and made. We got a patent pending. We don't got to worry about no lawsuits or anything and I started manufacturing my own trampoline so if you bought a launch you had to so we were vertical so basically I was just vertically integrating my business you know what I mean and that was one of the best things that uh, we could have done as well because so now I don't have to worry about the, the middleman for me to meet my timelines and things like that and realizing that I can make it for this and sell it for this so yes. I'm still selling it for the same thing that you are in my system, you can't even go out there. You can't do it if you wanted to because now you have to buy from me. But, you know, I'm making just as much on the installation and as I, as I, as I am on the install, installation of the park, and I am as far as my royalties. But that's how, you know, companies do. So I was just a small company acting as a bigger company yeah. when doing the things that they do as far as vertically integrated. Yeah, diversifying you know I mean? your revenue streams. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, but... It was all a learning curve, you know what I mean? And then you had, I started realizing, looking at the numbers, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm paying this? Wait a minute, I can make it for this and still sell it for this? It's like, I can make it for 
$15 a square foot. Mm-hmm. I buy my own raw steel, but I'm still selling it for $34 a square foot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So that was, that's, and then when you're talking about after our 10 parts, so the next 20, 20, 25 parks that went up, we built, did all the installation and did all the steel and the build right here in uh, Cranston, Rhode Island. The people didn't know that we wasn't going to, I wasn't going to China. I wasn't, you know, doing none of that. You know what I mean? So it was just, it was crazy. It was humbling because everything didn't go as planned. Never does. But when you work through it, when you work and realize that you built something special from one store, never thinking that my whole goal at the time was I want to get about five stores throughout New England. You know, keep it private. And we do pretty good. We'll give some people somewhere to go. I like to entertain. I like to interact with people. And that was the goal. But we realized that we had something special. Okay. First franchise was to a personal friend of mine from high school. She done well. And she bought in. Then his dad bought in. And next thing you know, we started this person. You know, we just started marketing and the rest is it. And then fortunately for me, in a sense, when we're talking about COVID, I got out and I said it was going to be five to seven. I said to go no matter where I was at. And it took me seven and a half years, but I was already looking at as far as my exit strategy with it. I wanted launch to continue to be successful, but I was looking for something else. I'm a builder. I love to, you know, I knew going into it that it can be like skating or anything else. People ain't roller skating no more. But I felt like over the next five to seven years, build it up, have this many so somebody else, you know, 15 years, but somebody else can take it further than what I can. So when did and you get out? Right, right in uh, January. Oh my God. Right before, right, that, right that before COVID. That may be the most brilliant thing I've heard so far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? A lot of the, some, some of the people that, that Michael, that, that know me, that a lot of people don't know what it is because I'm still pro-launch. Mm-hmm. But I'm not an officer anymore or anything like that. I sold my majority interest, okay. you know, to my partners. Oh, so is so Rob still in? Move. Yeah, Rob, 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 Rob is still in. And we had, we had brought in a minority partner at, at the time a few years ago, okay. you know, came in and put a couple of dollars in and take a, just to keep the thing going. You know what I mean? You don't need a little cash influx. Gave up some equity. and But as the majority owner and the founder, I took it as far as where, I thought that I can go with it. Mm-hmm. And as far as like ha- having fun, I wanted to go into something d- uh, different. And we all agreed and I sold my interest. Okay. But no one can say what COVID was happening. People right. like, oh, you, Brit-. no, I was lucky. Yeah. Uh, that, that was straight luck, but you jumped down. But when you have a goal sometimes to say, I'm going to get out at this time, and my financial advisor, Craig, he's like, okay. You determine that then, but you set the goal like I did five to seven years. It was seven and a half years. And I had told him when I started, when this time come, I'm out. Yep. You know what I mean? And I did everything and that time came and then the opportunity came because you still got to have somebody write the check because it was a fairly nice check because I ain't seen the check like that since I played ball. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But, you know, I was fortunate, but I don't feel as good about it as I should, even though. I won personally. I was, I had such great relationships with my franchisees. I let those guys all know when they gave me their blessing. That's awesome. When things were still going well, but I feel so terrible now because those are my friends. They counted, they bought into the company because of our relationship, but they did give me their blessing 
And it was like, go ahead. And then that's where I went with the vodka because there was opportunity there. And yeah. I loved it and I'm passionate about it. This wasn't even really a money move because I, this vodka was so damn good, Mike. And it was just a gift for the Hall of Fame. And it was funny how things happened. You know? So someone and, gave you a gift of the vodka for the Hall of Fame. and then Yes, what? his name was Paul Kozum. So his name was Paul. Paul Kozum. Okay. We, we met through a mutual friend in California. And he, he was in California. And we got to chopping it up. And he and we became friends. His son goes to school with my daughter. Mm-hmm. And he's he from New England. He happened to name his son Ty after me. It was a crazy, random whole exchange. (laughs) That's quite. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. No, it it was crazy because my daughter's mom was at a coffee shop. She just heard the accent, and she was like, "Oh, you a Patriots fan?" And he he was like, "Am I?" He's like, he called it. He called his his son. He said, "Come here." He was just they was playing my daughter in like I think it was like a Starbucks or something like that. And he was like, "What's your name?" He told my son, "Tell her your name." He was like. Ty, and she was like, "After who?" Ty Law. He says, "My favorite player is that." She was like, and she was like, hey, Sydney, come here. Tell him who your dad is." Ty Law, and it was just like that. So this was this. Fantastic. His name was Mike Pember. So that's how. I mean, it was random like that. So now when I come up, goes my daughter. We'll go, and he wanted she wanted wanted me to meet him because he named his son after that. I never met him, so that's how we met. We had lunch then. We became friends, and then when I went to the Hall of Fame, Paul Kozub, he knew, said he makes a great vodka. They just want to make me a special gift as a congratulations. They gave me 24 bottles of custom labels with V1 vodka, and all my stats on them and things like that. I'm like, okay, that was cool. So it was supposed to be a 15-minute meet and greet. Next thing, we seven, eight hours in my house drinking. I'm like, this is incredible. You know what I mean? And then it just kind of went from there. And after he told me his story and the passion that he has behind it, it was like, man, I want to help tell his story. You know what I mean? If nothing came in about business there, then it was just like he needed a push. He was doing great. 15 years, double gold, first place at international um, competition in San Francisco, the Wine and Spirits competition, double gold first. That's like a Grammy. You know what I mean? But it's the best vodka you never heard of. Sometimes you need that extra push. And I was like, you know what? We got to talking. He's still, Paul is still... It's his vodka. But not only did I love it, and, and I'm not a spokesperson, I invested my time, I invested my money to say, I'm going to help bring this to the attention that it deserves. So you put capital not, in we, and your effort in. Yes, it. yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I do what I mean. We, I, I, anybody can get paid to go and speak out and say, hey, and do an endorsement or something like that. But no, this is a true partnership, significant equity. And I bought in that way because like I sold one business and I rolled some of that into the other business and I'm trying to build some. And I think this has the, you know, the potential to, to, it has a lot of potential because of the relationships that we're building. We're now the official vodka, the pro football hall of fame now. Wow. You know what I mean? We wow. we have we yeah we're official vodka now, and we were going to be in Gillette, and I got the Jet Stadium, I got the Hard Rock, so we're just building those things. But COVID, I can't do the taste, I can't do this, and I don't even have to sell it. Hey, you taste it. I had thirty, I had over thirty taste tests, Mike, and not one. And I know somebody's palate is eventually going to change, but not one person. And I had Tito's, 
Ciroc, Grey Goose, Belvedere, Rain, Stoli. I had every one of them. Water, just people rent. They don't know I'm involved in V1 or not. This is before I even made it public. 30 for 30. Yeah, My wife and I have tried it, and we're both fans as well. Thank you. Yeah, for 30 for 30 so far. So I'm like, you know what? I knew it was something, but I still have to always give the credit for Paul for working so hard. But just to hear his story, how he started, that's how I started. And we kind of connected, and the rest is history, and we're we're still moving now. We're we're distributed in Jersey, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, of course, throughout New England. We're going to be starting in Florida at the beginning of the year. So do I understand correctly that it's made in Poland and in Massachusetts? Yes. Yep. No, right? well, we headquartered, we headquartered in Massachusetts, but it's made in Poland, the original okay. uh, birthplace, birthplace vodka. And not only in the and it's also into the distillery. So when I bought it, I bought into a vertically integrated company that just had to get that push. They had to, a lot of it is marketing, but you also have to have a good product. You know what I mean? But I think the product, is the seller. It's the liquid in the bottle that makes the difference compared to everything else. Because you think about some of these brands that you're not great vodkas, they're not great tequilas. If you ask a real tequila drinker, I'm not trying to say anything, but certain tequilas got a lot of word of mouth cliche and it looks cool, but it's a shitty tequila. Yeah. And the same thing with vodka. It's a whole lot of shitty vodkas. And I think a major differentiator would really say, you know what? We can work with this because it's different. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a thousand vodkas out there, just like it's a thousand football players, but it's only a couple of Hall of Famers, right? Yes. It's only one vodka in the world that's V1, that's made of 100% spelt. And he did not change at all. And if you look up spelt grain, which is the ancient grain, it the reason that no one puts it in vodka is because it's too expensive to get. But I'm so glad that he didn't dumb it down because he thought about it. And he said, we should do this. No, let's keep it where it's at. It's a premium vodka. This ain't no cheap shit. So we're going to have to sit there and stick with our guns and we're going to go for it. You know what I mean? And Paul is like, no one else is doing it because you're talking about corn fit, what, 25 cent a pound? We're talking about a dollar fifty yeah. a pound compared to the typical corn, rice, wheat, potatoes that you in yeah. Those are cheap. You know what I mean? So this is spelled, and that's why we're the only ones that do it. But that's where it gets to clean the smoothness and the finish that it has on our vodka compared to the West. Because now that everyone tasting it, that I'm getting it in a different hands, people love it. So is it I'm, widely, I'm excited is, about it. Is it widely distributed enough that anyone can go, any of our listeners, for example, could go into any store and, and buy it? Oh, throughout New England, yeah. But if it's not there, ask for it. But, you know, we're pretty... We distribute pretty well throughout New England, especially in Boston. I've been making my rounds, and and we're coming. But I encourage anybody to go out there and just try it. The signature drink is a pick six. My personal favorite is the cucumber, and with mixed with lemonade, I call it the pick six. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, that's my favorite one, man. But hey, it's something for everybody to enjoy. And we have flavors. We have triple berry, coconut. We have our seasonal peppermint, grapefruit. Hey, we got the flavors, but the original, put it up against any one you want. And I'm banking. I'm telling you, you're going to like V1 okay. before you like the others. I promise you. But it sounds like the first try should be the cucumber. Oh, yeah. That's my personal favorite. Okay. But some people don't like flavors, you know what I mean? But it's, it's so crisp. It's so clean. It's not overpowering. So 
it just gives enough flavor. You know what I mean? I, I love it. We have a little little dash of mint up in it. So it's awesome. We're working on different uh, partnerships because of the signature drink. Pick Six working with a couple of lemonade companies to do like a, a you know, prepackaged. You know what I mean? So we're, we're, it's coming along, man. It's coming along. But it's work. Oh, my God, Mike, it's work, man. This business, totally different from lunch, totally different from football. And I'm having fun. And that's the most important thing. I'm having fun. I ain't getting paid nothing, but I'm having fun. (laughs) Well, that's great. And I do recommend it. Again, my wife and I have tried it and we do think it's, it's excellent. So Ty, I've got just a couple questions left for you and, and then we can wrap this up. So, so you are, so we've learned a lot speaking to you and learned how you've challenged yourself. And I would say also another observation I would make is that you have done a, extraordinary job of taking advantage of relationships that you've been able to build and understanding that those relationships can come from anywhere. They can come from a chance meeting with Magic Johnson, or it might just be the guy who happens to be building a deck for you, or for that matter, someone who is a fan and appreciates you and sends you a gift. And it Mm -hmm. it looks like time and time again, you've understood that and you've made something of it. And that's, it's really a great story to hear. Do, do you have a mission? Do you have a personal mission that, that you, that you go by some sort of a, just some sort of a credo that, that defines who you are and how you think about the world? The one thing I, I try to do is, you know, treat people how you want to be treated. And I think when you talk about businessmen, a lot of people assume that you got to do something sneaky, shady. You got to be crude. You got to be foul to make it. And maybe in some cases you have to be cutthroat because it ain't personal, it's business. And I'm still learning that myself, Mike, but I I just, I want to be able to work with people, uplift people and bring them up by being kind. You know what I mean? And let's have fun doing it. Even though sometimes when you get those days and go to work, that it's not so much fun. But, you know, just having good people around me, talking and we can do business. I like to do business without actually doing business. You know what I mean? I, mean, I know it's, it's kind of crazy. I can relate. Like we I understand. You, you know what I mean? It's like sometimes you can do business on the golf course. You know what I mean? When it's time to get down and put your head down and we got to do this, it's fine. But I don't want it to be a drag coming into work. I don't want it yeah. to be a drag for what, we do, for what we're doing. You know what I mean? I'm enjoying. And that's why, like, it was a great transition from getting into, from being in a family entertainment, being in the liquor industry because you drink for entertainment, you drink casually, you drink socially. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, it all fits because I know how, I know how to talk to people. I enjoy talking to people and just interacting, you know what I mean? So uh, just treating people with respect and engaging uh, in conversation and engaging them, wanting to know about them, not just about me, because I'm always learning. People want to talk football. People want to ask about experience. I was Tom Brady's that, but a lot of times, like, I want to know about you. I know what I did. I lived it so long. That's why I was so inspired by Paul. He didn't have the million-dollar contracts. He, he, he didn't grow up like I did. He had his own struggles or how he grew up and what he started off with. And it's not where you start, because if I started off in Aliquippa in my tough times, and I didn't learn from it, and I didn't have a goal, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. I'll be still back there in Aliquippa. Same thing with Paul. He had a he he had a goal. He had a vision. 
he had a passion to do something, not knowing if it was going to make money or not. And he built a 15-year business still in business. And I think that's saying something, sticking through it. And that's the type of people that I like, you know, working with. That's what I want to be around, people that are still hungry. I, I can retire. I can, you know, say, okay, live, rest on my morals for what I did playing ball. Hey, beat my jam and Hall of Fame. That's just not who I am. I want to do something different. It's a different chapter. Life is a different challenge. And I want the challenge not to be a struggle, but a challenge that picks you up, makes you look forward to conquering the day. And I like being around people like that. So my whole thing is conquer the day for whatever it is. Even if it's some days you're tired, but do something productive that day. Well, and when it comes to business, that's what I try to do. Every day I try to do something to make it a little bit more productive. Well, my, my last question was going to be what's next, but I wonder if that's an appropriate question just because you just said that it's really about today. I guess I'll ask the question anyway. So you're in V1 Vodka right now. Is there mm -hmm. something next for Ty Law or do you not know at this point? You know what? But actually, before the, the, the pandemic, I was coming up with a plan saying, okay, well, this will my next venture be. This is what I'm going to you know, pursue. And I don't want to spill the beans right now and say exactly what it was. But I tell you what, God works in mysterious ways because mm -hmm. this pandemic would have hammered that one. It would have hammered it. It would have, it, it would have just got started and got it off the ground and it went right back on the ground because of this in the, today is what we're living in. People are struggling and just that business overall, I've seen a lot of potential, but it probably wouldn't, wouldn't be faring well right now at all because of the pandemic. But I am full fledged the vodka right now. Everything else that I had is like, I'm enjoying this so much. I see this. I'm, I'm passionate about it. I love the fact that I know for a fact that we have an awesome product that you need to try. Okay. So right now I'm 100% V1 all in. I have passively invested in certain things, but as far as me being engaging, starting and being an entrepreneur, I'm 100% I'm you know, committed to V1 right now and everything else is, is second fiddle. Thanks, Ty. So if our listeners want to learn more about you, if they want to follow you on, on social media, is there a way that they can do that? Yes. I, well, as far as V1, you can definitely go to uh, uh, V1 Vodka, at V1 Vodka on IG. And I'm the official Thai Law, official Thai Law on Twitter and Instagram. I don't have a Facebook, so, but on IG and Twitter, official Thai Law. Thank yep. you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the extraordinary Ty Law. And thank you to our sponsor. The Colony Group is a national wealth and business management company with 15 offices across the country that itself seeks the extraordinary as it pursues its unrelenting mission, providing clients with peace of mind and empowering their visions of tomorrow. To learn more about The Colony Group and how it manages beyond money, visit www.thecolonygroup.com. You can also follow The Colony Group on LinkedIn, and on Twitter at Colony Group. For Seeking the Extraordinary, I'm Michael Nathanson. Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Nathanson underscore MJ and learn more about my ongoing search for the extraordinary. <laughs>